you are listening to the Sermon Podcast at Bethel. We're an evangelical covenant church located in western Wisconsin outside of Ellsworth, and you can find out more about us on our website, BethelCov.org. My name is Todd Speaker. I'm the pastor here, and thank you for listening. Well, would you open in your Bible to Acts 20? Uh, starting in verse 13, and I encourage you uh, this morning, because we're kind of, we're going to be running through a, a lot of, of scripture, and we're not going to spend a lot of time, and we're not going to put it all on the screens, to go ahead, if you have your Bible, turn there, if you're using a pew Bible, I went and looked, it's page 1079, and so what you'll want to do is just have it, and you can kind of move through, uh, and kind of try and keep up, because we're going to walk through a sort of a longer section, a longer story together. So as, as you're turning there, um, uh, we've been talking about, um, we've been going through Acts this summer together. The whole, the whole book of Acts, we're almost at the end, and we're in uh, this, this last section uh, that follows uh, Paul uh, as he, he goes on this missionary journey, and then he heads back, uh, he goes out and is preaching about who Jesus is. In our scripture, he heads back to Jerusalem. Uh, but this section is sort of the, the, the last section of, of Acts. And one of the things that it's showing us and that we've seen the last few weeks is that as the Holy Spirit leads Paul, uh, he sort of he crashes into uh, everything. Um, so he goes into a town and he runs into to spiritual evil and all these uh, other evil forces at play as he's trying to uh, show people who Jesus is. Everything is kind of resisting and fighting him back. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, we talked about how sometimes in life uh, we're um, building our lives in fear that sort of, you know, something's going to come in and mess everything up and, and crash, crash everything back. And, and Paul shows us that even though he is, he is faithful uh, to his call, even though he's following the Spirit, even though he's doing everything he's supposed to be doing, he's, he's facing... Um, trouble everywhere he goes. Uh, things are, are crashing down. Sometimes in life when things aren't going our way, uh, we think it's because we've done something wrong. And, and sometimes maybe that's true. Um, but Paul shows us that oftentimes, uh, even when we really are trying to be faithful, even when we really are following the voice of the Spirit, as Paul is, um, there's, there's resistance, there's trouble, there's, there's crashing. And so our, our scripture today uh, sort of uh, shows uh, what, what happens to Paul as he's uh, going on this missionary journey. Uh, there's sort of a, a backlash that he faces. Uh, things are going well. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Uh, but even though uh, there's, there's just a, a, I've been calling it to myself, like a crash back. As he's been disrupting and, and the Holy Spirit's been shaking things up all over the Near East as Paul preaches about Jesus, um, all of those, those forces sort of... <laughs> They come back and, and get him. And, and this, is, this is the section of, of Paul uh, facing trouble. And as we read through, as you finish out Acts, you're just going to find event after event after event. And if any other regular human being was in Paul's shoes, they might be tempted to think, oh man, I've done something really, really wrong. Uh, but, it, but in this case, it just sort of comes with the territory. And we've been talk, we talked about a couple weeks ago how um, sometimes... Um, the, the question really isn't, will we face uh, crashes in our lives? The question really isn't, will we face opposition and trouble or not? The, 
The question is, um, when we face trouble, uh, when things are difficult, when life doesn't go the way that it's supposed to, how will we respond? Uh, because the, the truth is, um, just like if you remember a few weeks ago when we were building those, those cups, the truth is no matter how well you build your life up and no matter how faithful you are and how hard you try, uh, crisis will come. And the question is, and, and honestly, as someone uh, who's, who's still very young, but when I've seen um, uh, some of the people of this church are, are, are saints, people that have followed faithfully their whole lives, the test often isn't whether or not they went to church a lot during their life. The test is what happened when trouble came, um, as, as hard as that is to say, because trouble will come to all of us. Opposition will come to all of us. And the question is, how will we respond when? Uh, and so, you know, the kind of, the three sort of basic, you know, they, they talk about these like, you know, your lizard brain, your brain stem reactions to trouble, to opposition, to crashing uh, is, is, has three parts. And we see these in the animal kingdom. We, we fight, uh, we run away, or we freeze. That, I tried to find a really great picture of a deer frozen on the road. You know what happens when you're driving down the highway too fast out here in Wisconsin in the fall. Uh, you see a lot of those guys, and those guys, uh, for some reason, when they're in danger, uh, it, it triggers their freeze reflex, and they just stop. And instead of just getting out of the way, uh, they, they, they stop, they freeze, and it doesn't usually work out very well for the driver or the deer. Um, other times when we encounter uh, opposition, trouble, loss, we, we run away. One way that uh, human beings uh, these days, we might not get up and, and run out of the room, um, these days, a flight for us, you know, maybe we, uh, things get hard at work, and so we, we quit and we find another job. Or another way that human beings often flight, uh, run away like that zebra, is, uh, is by self-medicating uh, with, with drugs or alcohol. Like, life is hard. I don't know how to solve these problems. I'm going to retreat even if only in my mind. Sometimes when we're having conflict with people, uh, we flee those relationships. We walk away from family members that we disagree with, we walk away from uh, churches that we, we're having a hard time getting through things with, we walk away from workplaces, and some of us, uh, and, and I have a good, a good friend that um, doesn't watch these, so I'm safe, um, his, his response is always, some people, that's your response, right, is to fight. Um, I have a, he's a good buddy of mine, and I, I do this sometimes too, um, when someone disagrees with us, when um, something's not right, like, we fight. And, and, this, and that's a good instinct sometimes, but, but this good friend of mine, there is no hill that he won't die on, you know? Like, and it doesn't matter, you know, from the most important things in life, he will take a courageous stand and argue you to the end of the relationship, <laughs> but he'll also do it over the least important uh, things in life. Some of us, uh, we are, we're keyed that way. And oftentimes, you know, there's one of these that we do more than others. We we fight every battle. Um, we give, we refuse to give in like the foxes. We run away like the zebra. Or sometimes, you know, uh, when things are really shaking in our lives, and I hear this from people all the time, and I say this all the time, we, we freeze and we just hunker down and hope that in a few weeks or a few months or maybe a year, things will get better and then we can keep living our life. Um, oftentimes, you know, oh, when I'm through, when this test is done, then I can start 
living my life again. Oh, when this hard season at work is over, then I can start uh, connecting uh, with my family or friends. Oh, when I'm out of the hospital, then I'll start living life again. We, f- we freeze. And I think each of us, um, if you're looking at these, maybe there's one of these that you lean to more than others. Some people will, will literally never fight. Some people will avoid any conflict. They'll just agree, and, and I didn't have the possum. We'll play possum and say, oh, yeah, uh-huh, totally, even if we don't agree at all, um, and some of us freeze. But I think we all um, uh, have this in us, and different circumstances bring it out. And, and oftentimes, we don't even think about it, right? It's just a basic response. Well, we're going to take a look at Paul as he faces opposition and trouble and, and crash back, and we're going to look at how he responds in these circumstances, because he's going to be tempted to fight and flee and, and freeze. Uh, so Paul's trouble, his crash back, if you will, has been coming for a long time. Um, you might remember this way back towards the beginning of Acts, when Paul's life was changed on his road to Damascus, uh, he, was, he met this guy named Ananias. Ananias took care of him when he was blinded. And, and God uh, told Ananias something. When Ananias said, you know, Paul, he, Saul's a bad guy. He's been hurting people. And, and God says, he says, don't worry, Ananias. Um, go, go, to, go to Saul. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So God gives him this vision. Paul, is, his life is going to be dedicated to telling the Gentiles, non-Jews, about Jesus. Uh, but then uh, God includes a little part two to this message uh, to Ananias. He says, and I will show Saul how much he must suffer for my name. Uh, he's going to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, and he is going to suffer, God says to Ananias. And As you're reading through Acts, and as you've been reading through it with us, maybe, you've noticed Paul does an awful lot of suffering, and he's going to do an awful lot more suffering before uh, the story is done. Now, Paul has faced trials, he's faced challenges, but but this is his ultimate facing the music here in Acts 20 through the end of the chapter. Paul sees how much he must suffer for Jesus. Jesus. And so and I encourage you, the rest of the summer, read the rest of Acts. Take some time this week to, to read through um, all of the stuff that happens, because you'll see um, trouble after trouble after trouble. So, so Paul's, uh, Paul's going to face a lot of trouble, and it begins in, I can't remember what I told you guys to begin with, but it begins actually in Acts 20, and we're going to start in, in verse 20, um, excuse me, uh, 21. So, Paul is is about to say goodbye to his friends in like the last stop on his missionary journey. And he's getting ready to go back to Jerusalem. Now, if you know the the backstory a little bit, Paul, while he's been preaching about Jesus, has been collecting money because the church in Jerusalem is is starving. They have a big famine. And so he's going to bring this gift. He's going to greet the Christians in Jerusalem. And he feels like God is leading him to go there. Uh, and And it says this, Uh, So he's talking to them. Paul says, I have declared uh, to both Jews and Greeks that you must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, he says, God's telling me to do this, the Spirit's leading me, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, Paul says, because he knows that back in Jerusalem are a bunch of people that, uh, that Paul has sort of turned his back on that think Paul is really hurting everyone. He says, um, 
and I don't know what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, uh, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace, that first half of what God says to Ananias. He'll testify to Jesus. So Paul knows that there's trouble uh, in Jerusalem, but the Spirit says, Paul, it's time to go to Jerusalem. And so as Paul goes, you know, it's not like you can hop on a plane and fly to Jerusalem. He has to start this big journey, and he makes all these stops on the way. As he goes, uh, he actually says goodbye to his friends, to Christians, three different times, and, and all three times, they do whatever they can to get him to just not go to Jerusalem. And so the first one you'll see in chapter 20, verse 36, uh, in, into chapter 21. It says, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to his ship. And I love this verse, uh, verse 1, chapter 21, verse 1. It says, After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to coast. Uh, so Paul's with his friends. They pray together. He says, I have to go. I'm probably never going to see you again. And they are weeping and holding on to him. They have to tear themselves away. They say, stop, Paul. We love you. We care about you, Paul. Freeze. Don't go. It's not worth it. They're going to tear you apart in Jerusalem. And so then it continues. Uh, a few verses down, chapter 21, verse 4. Uh, when, they, when they get to the next location, they seek out some of the disciples there, some of Paul's co-workers, uh, and they pray with them. And it says in verse 4 that these disciples, through the Spirit, urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Uh, you can imagine what this looked like. They're all listening to the Holy Spirit. And just like the Holy Spirit has told Paul that things are going to be bad in Jerusalem, uh, now they're praying and, and his friends are like, you know, I'm, I'm hearing from the Holy Spirit that it's, it's not going to be good when you go to Jerusalem. And so they're, they're urging Paul. They're like, Paul, even God thinks this isn't going to go well. Don't go. Stop. Freeze. Don't go. But Paul, uh, he, goes, he goes on. He doesn't, he doesn't freeze. He keeps going. The third time, uh, this one's my favorite. Chapter 21, verses 10 through 14. I cannot imagine being in a circumstance like this and responding how, how Paul does it says that they went to a new place, and it says, After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Uh, so this guy, uh, the Bible says, we believe this guy's a prophet, that God is speaking to him. He came down from Judea, and he, do, did, he, does, he does what prophets do. Uh, he comes right up to Paul, and, and just imagine the audacity. He takes Paul's belt off of his waist, and Paul's standing there like, okay, and he ties the belt around his own hands, this prophet does. And he says, uh, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. He says, if you go, and we're not quite there yet, we will be in a minute, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to tie you up and drag you out of the city. It says, when we heard this, we and the people pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. So now it's not just his friends, not, it's not just the people of town, it's, 
It's the author of Acts and all of Paul's friends who've been going with him every step of the way. They're like, Paul, don't go. This is a terrible idea. God thinks it's not going to work out. We think it's not going to work out. Freeze. Stop. Don't go. Paul answers, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? Am I not ready? Am I ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus? And finally, when he would not be dissuaded three times, we gave up and said, fine, (laughs) the Lord's will be done. Three times Paul has a chance to freeze or flee um, this call, but he knows God wants him there, and so, so he goes. Uh, But so here we go. Now Paul's in Jerusalem at chapter 21, verse 17. And in uh, Jerusalem, Paul is going to get a chance to do what what some of us like to do. He's going to get a chance to to fight. Um, So he he gave up on fleeing. He gave up on freezing. He's going to have a chance to fight. So this is Paul gets there. He he arrives at Jerusalem. That's that's a a picture of, of the Wailing Wall, I believe, in Jerusalem. And Uh, So the next day, it says, when we arrived at Jerusalem, we gave up running away. The brothers and sisters received us warmly. This is the Jerusalem Christians. It says, the next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. So all the most important people in the Jerusalem church, they greet Paul. And the first thing Paul does in verse 19, uh, it says, Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God has done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So Paul said, Thousands of people have come to Christ. Thousands of Gentiles, their lives have been changed from top to bottom. God is doing an amazing thing in our region, in, in the world. And so he, he tells them all about it, and it says the elders, the elders in Jerusalem, when they heard this, they praised God. They were like, awesome. Way to go, Paul. Praise God. God, you're at work. So Paul says, look at what God has done. They praise God, uh, but But then, before verse 20 is even over, uh, they tell Paul what the problem is. (laughs) Uh, You can imagine, this is no hero's welcome. They say, praise God, in verse 20. When they heard this, they praised God. But here's the problem. It says, then they said to Paul, you see, brother, um, how many thousands of Jews have also believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. Now, uh, this is um, meant to inspire a little concern in Paul's heart because uh, a lot of the Jewish people believe that Paul is telling everyone they don't need uh, to, to follow Scripture anymore. And, and some of these, you know, do they need to get circumcised or not? We've talked about this. Um, it, it says, all of them, Paul, all of these Christians, these Jewish Christians here, I'm glad to hear what God did out there, but the Christians here, um, they're zealous for the law. And, and this, um, I think, if you're Paul, is, is a little bit of a, of a fighting word, right? It continues. It gets worse. It says, they, these, these Jewish Christians that are zealous for the law, they have been informed. We, we don't know how. They've been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. Now, uh, if you haven't read this much recently, it's important to know that this is not true, okay? Paul Uh, Paul is not telling uh, Jewish Christians uh, to turn away from Jewish customs. Uh, He's telling Gentile Christians that they don't need to adopt every every Jewish custom in order to meet Jesus. Remember, he's telling them, you don't have to become a Jew to become a Christian. Uh, And what they're saying, the leaders of this church, they're saying, "Um, 
the Christians here, they've, they've been told that you're telling the Jews they don't have to follow the law of Moses. And, and so then they, they put it to Paul. They say, what shall we do? Because they'll certainly hear that you've come, Paul. And, and you can imagine, um, maybe you've been in a situation like this. You know, they're, they're really happy with the work that Paul is doing so long as it's nice and far away, right? And, and sometimes in the church, we get like, so we're really happy when people are going out to bring the gospel, to be missionaries. Um, but sometimes when, when some of those folks come back and it changes our lives a little bit, it, it shakes things up a little bit, people get, get frustrated, and that's what's happening in the church. The church leaders in Jerusalem, they are delighted Paul is out there with the Gentiles. But now that Paul's here, it's, it's a problem because for whatever reason, a good or, or bad, they haven't um, been able to convince the Jewish Christians in town that Paul isn't doing what they think he's doing. Um, so just to just set the stage, so, so here's our leaders, here's Paul, and in Jerusalem there's a group that believes lies about Paul. They believe he's turning his back on the faith. And so now, um, it's interesting, Paul is hearing about this from, from people that are his friends. Oh, Paul, it's so great to have your, by the way, most of the Christians here think you're terrible, <laughs> that you're turning away from God. And the question that I have, if I was Paul, would, would be this. If, if you, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, the Christian leaders in Jerusalem, know that uh, people are spreading these lies about Paul, what, what are you doing to stop that? You know, Paul, I wonder if he's thinking, why, why didn't you guys stand up for me? I'm gone out here doing ministry. Why aren't you telling them what I've been doing? Uh, and so th they continue. As it turns out, um, this what shall we do is a rhetorical question because the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, they have an idea of how to solve this problem. They say, um, so what do we tell you? Um, so there's four men with us who've made a vow. Um, he says, take these men, Paul, take these men, join in their purification rites and pay for their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved and then everyone will know that there's no truth in these reports about you but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. Uh, so let's try and, and pull this back. They're saying, Paul, you know, we know that you're following the law, but for their sake, um, I want you to, to pay for and submit to this multi-day ritual to prove to everybody that you're really who you say you are. Paul's friends, uh, who claim to be on his side, uh, you know, as far as we know, they haven't really challenged the lies being spread about Paul. Maybe they believe him. Um, so they ask Paul to pay for and go through this ritual uh, all to appease this group of people who believe a lie about Paul. And, and I, know, I don't know about you, but in, in, when I think about our world today, I think about my life and, and my own circumstances. Um, if you are in that situation and your friends are asking you to submit to this big process just to prove to other people that you're not a liar. Um, if you submit, aren't you sort of like giving in a little bit to like, oh, maybe there is something wrong with this guy. You know, I think most people, most people would, would fight or walk away. You know, I know you're selling, telling the truth, but would you just take a lie detector test so that we can all be sure? <laughs> right, that's, that's what they're doing, they're doing to Paul. And I think most of us might say in his shoes, uh, these are lies about me, and you're either with me and, and Jesus, if you're Paul, or, or you're against him. You know, a different person, a normal person, 
would, would fight here at the gates of Jerusalem. Here, Paul is empowered by the Holy Spirit, bringing aid to the people of Jerusalem. You know, and you're like, this is how you treat Paul? Paul could bring tons of arguments about how these are lies about him. He could bring tons of arguments as to why what he's doing is right and what they're doing is wrong. He could defend his reputation. He could exert his power as, as an apostle, as someone who's seen Jesus in this amazing uh, vision. But this is not how he responds. Uh, you could not make a movie like this because it would be too boring. It'd be too much of a letdown. Paul should fight if he's like you and me. But verse 26, it says this. It says, The next day, Paul took the men, purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. Paul knew he was in the right. He knew they were in the wrong. Yet he submits to their leadership and their plan. Uh, he might have thought it was time to fight, to die on a hill, to show everyone they had missed the point, but Paul, he gives in. Instead of arguing back, instead of defending his character, instead of demonizing his opponents, or even explaining his actions, Paul humbles himself and gives in. He submits to their request. And to me, this is, this is foreign. This seems like, like weakness. Why would he give in? But he, he does, he gives in. And then, uh, guess what? Verse 27 shows that it doesn't even work. It continues. It says, When the seven days were nearly over, Paul has fasted for seven days, paid the cost, went through every step. When the seven days were almost over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he's brought Greeks into the temple and defied this holy place. It says that they had previously seen uh, Trophimus, an Ephesian, in the city with Paul. And they assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So Paul's just about to finish this ritual. And the crowd, the riot shows up, and they turn on him anyway. They interrupt it. They make up more lies about him. And it says in verse 30, The whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. And if you keep going, you'll see that they, um, they beat Paul, um, and it was really not looking good. Before the, before the ritual was even finished, the most extreme faction of the opposition, they rallied the crowd, and they were going to beat, beat Paul up. Now, they probably wanted to kill him. Uh, he's, he's barely saved, the scripture tells us, by uh, some Roman troops who hear that there's commotion at the temple. They run down there and, and get the crowds to kind of scatter away. And what do they do to Paul beat up outside the temple? They put him in chains and they drag him out of Jerusalem, just like the prophet said, just like Paul was warned. And so here we go. Here's Paul who, who refused to freeze, who refused to run away, who went to Jerusalem even though he knew what was going to happen. Uh, who gives in uh, to what he's being asked uh, to do by these leaders. It, it doesn't even work. He winds up beaten, chained, and dragged away. And instead of arguing back, instead of defending his character, instead of def condemning the people in Jerusalem and explaining his actions, Paul, he humbles himself, and he, and he gives in. I think when we face opposition and disagreement and trials in our lives, we're tempted to fight or run away or freeze. But Paul, Paul doesn't. 
And as you read through Acts, you'll see this again and again. Uh, Paul um, gives in in every opportunity that he can when most of us would fight the battle. Um, and beyond that, Paul, he goes to dangerous places that most of us would avoid, uh, that we might freeze to avoid. And Paul deals with uncomfortable realities. He faces the music when most of us might flee. And so my question is, um, why doesn't Paul fight here? Why doesn't he flee when he should? Why doesn't he freeze? Well, as you read the rest of Acts, and, and, you, and, you, and you read the story, you'll see uh, again and again, uh, he, he gives in in these ways. Uh, read the letters of Paul, and one theme that drives all of us crazy, I think, in, in a time, in a place where we like to fight, in almost all of his letters... <laughs> Paul advocates and argues that people let stuff go if it doesn't matter. He says, you know, there's a group that thinks you should eat food offered to idols. There's a group that thinks you shouldn't. And how about the group that thinks you can? Um, as long as, you know, just, just really keep it quiet. Don't bother anybody over here. And the group that thinks you should, shouldn't, like, why don't you just have grace for each other? Paul says, give, give in. He's often encouraging people to let things go. Uh, oftentimes he'll say, you know, there's a church that he writes to where everybody's suing each other uh, because they're not getting, uh, their, they feel like they're being wrong, they're not getting what's owed them, and so they're suing each other. And Paul says, why not rather be wronged if it means that you can be brothers and sisters? Uh, for those of us used to thinking of heroes as um, uncompromising insisting that others always bend their will to them. Uh, for those of us that think of heroes as relishing in praise and taking credit, Paul, he just, he doesn't seem very heroic. And, and you might be tempted to think that Paul is, is weak. You know, Paul gives in all the time. He doesn't fight, flee, or freeze because he's afraid to fight for himself. Maybe you think Paul's afraid to take a stand, that he's just trying to survive. Well, in chapter 22... Um, Paul is going to ask his captors for permission to speak to the crowd, and, and they give it to him. And you'll notice, and I encourage you to read the whole thing sometime, uh, you'll notice um, that Paul does not answer the accusations against him. He doesn't explain why they're wrong. Uh, Paul doesn't condemn his accusers, and he doesn't insist on his rights. Instead, he relentlessly focuses on what matters. And so he tells a story in chapter 22, uh, 1 through 21. And you can, you can read it all through. It's, it's kind of long. And he, and he speaks it in Aramaic. Paul is multilingual. He speaks Aramaic because he knows that that's the language of the people of Jerusalem. And so when he has his chance to defend himself, when he uh, asks permission from the guard to say something, uh, this, is, this is what he says. You can read it all, but this is basically what he says. He says, uh, hey, everybody, uh, I'm a Jew, I was brought up in Jerusalem. I was well-trained by the Jewish leaders. I was zealous for the law, just like you, Paul says. He says, I'm like you. He says, and, and guess what? I persecuted Jesus' followers to their death, just like you maybe want to. He says, I, I was even responsible in trying to help throw men and women in jail, just like you threw me in jail. Paul says, I even went further. I went to the, the high priest and I asked for his permission uh, so that I could go imprison people from other cities uh, that followed Jesus. Paul says, I'm just like you. He says, I stood in approval 
when Stephen, a Christian, was martyred, just like you almost did over me had the Romans not showed up. Paul says, I was just like you, but Jesus, he stepped in my path. He blinded my eyes and set me free. And and Jesus told me, chose me to be a witness to him, to the Gentiles. And Paul says, that's that's what happened to me. He says, I follow uh, Jesus, uh, a person who is God in flesh, who set me free from a living death into an everlasting life in that same person can do the same for you. Paul, he doesn't fight. He doesn't flee. He lets stuff go that none of us would ever let go. He allows himself to be wrong and captured and hurt. He goes into dangerous places, not because he's strong, not because he's so good, not because um, he's afraid to fight. He, He does all these things because Paul knows what really counts. And he knows it doesn't matter if his reputation is hurt. It doesn't matter if his life is put on hold because he knows what really counts. Paul runs. Uh, He he goes, uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, It's like um, when we were playing playing softball last week. We lost. It It was okay, though. Nobody else is here. No, there's some of us here. Um, and the smart people on our team, I remember the last game we were playing, I played in the outfield for the first time. And, and I don't know what I'm doing, um, as the softball team knows. And the team is nice enough to tell me what I should do. And it was interesting, when certain folks would come up to bat that were really good hitters, uh, sometimes uh, the smart people would actually ask us to move in a little bit in the outfield. Because we'd want to go stand next to the fence. That's where I wanted to stand. So that I could catch that ball before it goes over the fence, because that was going to happen. And, and they said, you know, go ahead and move forward, Todd. Why not let them hit it over your head? Like, if they're going to hit it out of the park, you might as well let them hit it over your head because what really counts is when you catch the ball. <laughs> and if you let 100 balls go over your head and out of the park and you catch the five that they hit inside that you would have missed and lost, it'll make a huge difference. And Paul does that. He goes uh, for catches. He goes for points over anything else. When he stands at bat, he only swings at strikes. He doesn't care if he's walked because Paul, all Paul cares about is runs. Paul knows what counts. Paul, uh, when Jesus walked onto his pathway, uh, Paul found the thing that mattered more to him than anything else, that mattered more to him than his life and more to him than his his prestige and more to him than his job. Uh, and, And he says it in a bunch of different ways throughout the New Testament. In all of Paul's letters, he, he talks about what it is uh, that he found. And, and if you go to that next slide, I've got a few on here. Uh, one example, in Ephesians 2, verse 4 through 5, Paul, uh, Paul talks about what counts like this. He says, Because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. What counts is that God can make us alive. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 through 23, he says it like this. He says, Though I'm free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. He says, and this I think is, is challenging to us, he says, to the Jewish people, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. Uh, to those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under it, so as to win those under the law, Paul says. He says, to those who didn't have the law, I became like one not having the law. 
though I'm free from God's law and under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, Paul says, I became weak to win the weak. I have become, and oftentimes this is funny, I love this verse because it, the phrase that we say is the exact opposite. We, we say you can't be all things to all people, but Paul says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Paul knows what counts. And it doesn't matter when you know what matters most. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 2, he says it like this. He says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. In Galatians 5, 5 through 6, he says, Through the Spirit we wait, we eagerly wait in faith through righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision that has any value. Paul says this. This is the thing that counts. He says, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And if you hit the ball and you run around the bases and nobody gets out and you go through home, you score. And it doesn't matter if you hit it over the fence. It doesn't matter if you hit it into the next county. And it doesn't matter if you just barely touched it and the infielders couldn't get it together to get the ball on a base. Uh, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Paul is faithful in crashbacks. He loses his freedom. He loses his arguments. He loses his career. He loses his dignity. He loses his prestige. He loses the control over his life. And eventually, he'll lose his life. And he does nothing to stop it because he's focused on something that matters more. There's there's tremendous power in that. Uh, People change the world when they have a focus like that. Because the crashback, the troubles, the, the back and forth, the fights, they, they come. The other shoes, they drop in our lives. The threats and the slights and the tragedies of this life, they don't have to derail everything. They can be put into perspective when something matters more. And there's so many of us, and my, I count myself included in this, this is not a message from my own perfection and having figured this out. There are so many of us that have so many things that we're keeping track of, so many things that we're trying to count uh, in this life, whether it's at home, at work, in church. We, we have so many worthy things, so many almost important things for our time and our attention, so many almost important things to divide from others over, so many almost important things to walk away from relationships over, so many almost important things to let define how we live our lives. My fighting uh, friend, my friend that likes to fight, he's, I went to seminary with him, and, and while I say uh, we have so many almost important things, um, he would say, um, he would say we have so many stupid things <laughs> to focus on compared to this. There are so many worthless things to focus on compared to this. There are so many pointless battles to fight and worthless hills to die on compared to the only thing that counts. So Paul, uh, in chains, beaten up, in front of the people that just put him there, instead of condemning, instead of fighting, instead of defending himself, he invites anyone who will hear, and as you read Acts, you'll see him do this again and again and again and again, when a normal human being's like, what is your problem? Fight back for yourself, Paul. Paul invites anyone who will hear. 
his friends, his frenemies, his enemies, at every opportunity to lay down those other important things in favor of a God who is rich in mercy, who sent his son Christ to die and rise on our behalf. And he invites anyone who will hear to lay down that important stuff, to repent and receive Christ's life eternal, a new, bigger thing, and then to live a new life in Christ. A life that's not marked by the battles that we fight and whether we win or lose them, not marked by the hills that we die on, not marked by the things we escape or the life that we preserve, but instead is marked by faith expressing itself through love in a life that doesn't stop when we stop breathing and our hearts stop breathing, beating. Paul says anything else in life is worth giving up on except the thing that counts. Let's pray. Lord God, we have a world full of important things, important arguments, important battles, important questions, important rights and freedoms, important um, jobs, important families, important ideas. And it all seems so important. But in Paul, Lord, you show us that there actually is something that matters more. And it's the fact that you came, you died, and you rose. And that because of that, because you died for our sin and rose again from the dead, there's something more important. And it's that we can lay down our sin, we can repent of the ways that we've harmed others for important reasons or maybe just to build ourselves up. We can repent of the things that we've allowed to define our lives receive forgiveness from you, and instead walk a new way, a way following after God who lays his own life down for his world, a life of faith planted in the person of Jesus Christ through whom we can know you and be made new. So Lord, we ask that you give us a chance to lay those things down and instead receive the sacrifice of your son who died freely for us. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us. You can find out more about our church, our live stream, and our in-person services at BethelCove.org. Thanks and have a great week.